0: Welcome back witches to Love, Lust, and Magic. I'm so grateful you're here today and this one really goes out to all the occultists, the magicians, and the seekers out there. Today I had the privilege of interviewing the icon, the legend, the occultist historian around town himself, Mitch Horowitz, who I have been such a fan of for so many years. He truly is such an incredible speaker and um, writer and author who weaves really incredibly researched, well-cited history with just such a beautiful narrative around the history of occultism, of um, new thought, of spirituality, and today we talk about so many things, but we really talk about his new book, Modern Occultism, which is a tome of esoteric wisdom. It really goes through the whole kind of history of occultism in the Western world, and it does so, so well researched, so interesting, so like lively, and it's so just easy to make this shit boring. Mitch, true Sagittarian nature could never make this ship boring. So today we talk about his new book, we talk about what it means to be a modern seeker, some of the pitfalls of the path, and it's just a really inspiring conversation. I hope that you guys enjoy it and on with the show. Mitch Horowitz, I'm so grateful to be able to talk to you. I have admired your work, your vision, and your heart for so long. You are an author, an occult historian, and now with the Kabbalion, a filmmaker. You're also the, uh, the author of Modern Occultism, which I am so excited to talk to you about. But before we dive into that, I was wondering if you could just tell me a little bit about how you found this incredible mystical niche of work that you're in.
1: Oh, well, thank you so much, and I'm I'm really glad to be here, and thank you for the, the humanity and the mm-hmm. insight and the joy that, that you bring to these subjects, which, oh, which thank I you. appreciate enormously. Thank you. Um, I, I think I have been interested in mythology, folklore, cultism ever since I had been a little kid. I was growing up in the borough of Queens, specifically in the town of um, Belrose, for any fans... Of Eastern Queens, mug your listenership. And uh, I would walk to the local public library and constantly take out books on superstition and folklore and Bigfoot and flying saucers <laughs> and so forth. And then as I got older, I think those interests were always there, but they became secondary. Mm-hmm. And um, the funny thing is, um, I got into publishing. And I always had a very fitful relationship with publishing. The field was good to me, but I wasn't really sure that it was what I was supposed to be doing or what I wanted to be doing. It took me away from my writing. And I guess it must have been in the late 90s. I landed what uh, was supposed to be my dream job. And always beware when people tell you what your dream job is (laughs) and that you found it. (laughs) And I was hired as, uh, at least the intention was, I was hired as a progressive editor for a conservative press that thought it wanted a progressive editor, but of course, we often think we want things that we don't really want, and true to form, they didn't really want that. (laughs) So, for a variety of reasons, uh, that didn't work out, and I was fired, and it was very painful, Um, Mm. and I found a new job at a, a, a New Age publisher, and I went there, and instead of treating it as this temporary waystation or something I actually fell into the material on their backlist and it helped in me my fascination for this stuff going back to when I was a kid and even more than that it, it gave me territory to write in you know mm-hmm. I, I felt like I was I was someone at that time who had left behind writing um, and that was something I rarely spoke of but internally was painful. Yeah. And I didn't really feel, and I, I, I would venture a lot of people encounter this, I didn't really know where to channel my interests. I didn't yeah. want to be a guy bopping around writing book reviews for The Village <laughs> Voice or, yeah, right. you know, critiquing other people's work. I, I didn't feel, frankly, like my voice was really needed in politics because there's so many people mm-hmm. writing in that space. And I just didn't have a sense of purpose. And then as I discovered as I rediscovered some of the esoteric and occult material that ignited my imagination as a kid, I felt that there was a gap there in terms of people bringing a full-throated historicism to this material, treating this material with the degree of seriousness that its best writers and historical figures warranted. And it gave me a whole sense of direction, and I never looked back
0: yeah i mean you're literally slaying the game i feel like you have a new book every few months and it's not just that you write books it's that you write these books that truly are are like Thank you. so well documented so well researched like the amount that you pour into the historical analysis while weaving like a compelling narrative it's it seems so, like you do it so well it's like a ballerina it seems easy Thank but you. it's truly so difficult and i definitely relate with uh, um you know getting fired kind of being a good thing i had a similar experience writing for a female or like a women's kind of vertical on you know some woo woo stuff and they eventually fired me and that's kind of what let me write you know more books so I totally feel like part of being a seeker and on this path is kind of um surrendering to the punches being thrown at times and I just feel like you've you've done that so well and um your new book really like all your books have this just depth of knowledge depth of research but your new book modern occultism is like mind-blowing and that every fucking line of that book is like (laughs) filled with history and filled with research and like I just what was the process like it's a it's a big book it is a thick book you really go through from like Kemet ancient Egypt up through like you know more present times of just different strains of occultism like how you did with occult America but with the whole world so I would love to ask before we kind of get into like About the book, what were what was your process like writing that? How did your, if any, like your magical practice or your spiritual practice support you in kind of creating something so deep?
1: Well, I appreciate that. Thank you so much. I I I, I look back on it sometimes, and uh, it was such a a journey. Uh, I I did feel a tremendous depth of love and passion Mm. for the material, and that drove me. Yeah. And I think part of my operating function as I was working on the book was I would always ask myself how do I know this is true because mm-hmm. someone says that Thomas Edison said this or Louis the 16th said this or Cleopatra did this you know how do I really know it's true because we get into this thought habit in our mm-hmm. culture and everybody does of just assuming because some something was recorded somewhere that it it almost certainly occurred that way. And as you peel the onion back, it's very, very surprising. And sometimes little things, or supposedly little things, things that, let's say, ought to be obvious, um, are really very far from obvious. Like who, Mm. you know, let's say a certain ancient literature, like a certain ancient occult literature, or what came to be called occult, was rediscovered in um, in the Renaissance you know uh, the story a story might get told about how it was rediscovered but when you peel back the onion you realize that that endearing story may not necessarily be true it might just Mm -hmm. be cultural myth and it sounded attractive and neat and it makes for a good opening and so people repeat it. so I constantly kept trying to push myself to corroborate to find multiple sources to ask which sources could could be trusted and also to find humanity in the individuals because i, I am yeah. frozen if i can't find that humanity I, I i mean everybody whatever their foibles makes an effort to live for something and you mm-hmm. know i can't really find my way inside a historical character until i find that something uh, which may be one thing among many different facets of a person's character that i want to defend or that i want to question mm-hmm. And so I was always just trying to go deeper and ask myself, um, how do I know something is true? Is it? Is are there multiple sources for this? Do I believe the multiple sources? And also to avail myself of sources that I might not always like. I mean, there are certain writers that for whatever reason, we might feel a personal dislike for, but Mm -hmm. I had to say to myself, you know, put that away on a shelf. You know, I have to know everything. Even if I don't dig somebody's work in the broad sense, they might possess some piece of knowledge that I'm missing, and I can't tell you how many times that came to my rescue. We, we have to be really, we as artists, we as seekers, we have to be, we have to be really um, flexible in terms yeah. of our sources, because there's there's people whose work maybe. I've had a brief against, but I allowed myself to fall into it because they still may know something. So I tried to bring a lot of flexibility to it as well.
0: Oh, I love that, and that's spoken like such a true Sagittarius. Like <laughs> that, holding the ideal of truth and going after that, you know. And it's almost like you're um, you remind me of like a really good actor preparing for a role, where it's like they think of the motives of the character, they connect with the character, they humanize them, and then it it really is is kind of like energetic alchemy, where you're able to kind of you know warp the time space continuum and like step into this person's like you know experience and it really it really shows through the throughout the book like you really do again, meld the history with this kind of, like, liveliness and this, like, it's very, it's a really interesting book to read. And, like, you know, I'm I'm not just saying that is a lot of history books, especially with, like, stuff like occultism, where there's, like you said, like, there's so many different sources, it can get very, kind of, like, repetitive textbook dry, Mm -hmm. and you really Mm -hmm. weave such a compelling narrative that is, kind of, I think, woven through by this, like, you know, longing to know this, the seeking. Um, One of the quotes I really love from the beginning are, is very simple, but it's, people are generally born into Judaism, Christianity, or any number of traditional faiths. Occultism or esotericism, however, is something sought after. And I just, I feel like that really is like the, the book that this, you know, occultism, the path of the seeker, it's something that, you know, we don't necessarily have the language to explain why we have that desire or that longing but it's something that I really recognize reading this book that has kind of been you know compelling people throughout recorded history and probably for much longer than that and I guess my question is like if you think if there was one thing that modern or ancient seekers could teach us like if there was kind of one lesson from this book that you think would be very important for like modern audiences to hear inspired by these ancient seekers what would it be
1: wow that's an incredible question i've never been asked that before i suppose one of the things that mark the the dedication of ancient seekers is that life was so precarious for them mm, and yeah. a bad harvest a bad hunt uh, could be the dividing line between life or death in their mm-hmm. village or enclave or or even their city, and when they did things, they they did them with a real degree of dedication. If they were making a pilgrimage, let's say, to an Egyptian god or goddess like Sekhmet, mm-hmm. you know, they might have to walk. They might have to walk a hundred miles, yeah. you know, to reach that shrine to make that pilgrimage, and. They would be dependent upon hospitality, people taking them in. They'd be dependent upon luck, maybe bandits not, you know, like seizing them when they're on the road. They made terrible sacrifices, you know, just to go and kneel at the foot of a god or goddess in statuary form, or any number of such things. Um, and I think um, <clears throat> today we have so much available to us, obviously, mm-hmm. and we have so much physical comfort. Um, and yet, you know, on Twitter, everybody's fucking angry, you know, and I can't even <laughs> yeah. understand it. You know, everybody's pissed off about everything. Mm-hmm. And yet, you know, I've got air conditioning running here. I've got, you know, foods from all over the world in my kitchen that I can go eat when we're done. Mm-hmm. And, and, yet, and, and many people have this, not everybody, but they're all pissed. And my feeling is the ancients, um, when they did something... They went all the way. I mean, mm. there was just no halfway, like, you know, yeah, I'm sort of interested in uh, Athena, or yeah, I'm sort of interested in Seth. There was no sort of anything. <laughs> they yeah. really had to dedicate themselves. And, you know, that's for each individual seeker <clears throat> to decide. But I think that there's a... I, I suppose... I think we, de- we did somewhat shallow wells nowadays just because everything is so easily accessible and uh, my feeling is be into whatever you're into whatever speaks to your Mm. passions your emotions but allow yourself to really dive into the deep end of the pool because I think that we don't always have those experiences and ancient men and women had no choice but to have those experiences life was precarious
0: I love that, and I feel like even, you know, the words that are coming to me are devotion and sacrifice, which are such kind of, you know, important parts of the spiritual path. Like, devotion can really, you know, we might not be, like you said, walking to these ancient temples, but we can erect these altars in our homes, create these temples, in nature and find the devotion to like go and honor them regularly like it's almost like because there are you know our attention can be spread in so many different ways that it's like the challenge itself of finding regular devotion becomes like the road to it it's um you know and with that sacrifice too I feel like the theme of kind of not of the like the beauty of not getting what you want has kind of been coming up for you know just what i've been listening to and in my own kind of life and practice and it it very much feels like that there is um almost like you're able to sacrifice or offer something whether it's comfort you know having to walk to the temple in the ancient days or like Mm -hmm. now like giving up something that's no you know like something that you no longer want whether that's a thought pattern or maybe you know like for me i'm always kind of if I'm doing, you know, a tolerance break from weed, I'm like, okay, I'm going to devote this to the to the goddess or to a specific kind of energy or archetype as a way to weave that sacrifice into my spiritual practice. And I love that. I love the idea of just kind of going going deep. Also, kind of very Sagittarius, being pulled by the things uh-huh. that inspire you and call to you. And I love that you brought up segment two and Leo season feels feels right. So
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I think that we can afford to sometimes put ourselves into positions of uh, discomfort, you know, mm. apropos of sacrifice. One of the things I valued in my search, and I don't talk about this very much, and I don't write about it very much. I maybe make some distant allusions to it in the mm-hmm. book. For about eight years, I was involved in uh, the Gurdjieff work, the path brought by the mm. spiritual philosopher G.I. Gurdjieff. Mm-hmm. And I would have to say that one of the great, it's a very tough work. I mean, it depends upon what strain of it you're in, but um, it's a tough work. Mm-hmm. And um, one of the great gifts that that work gave to me was your, my sense of self got the, the sort of inflated sense of self that's at work when errant use is made of words like enlightenment or mm-hmm. awakening or realization. All that stuff gets punctured very, very quickly. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one of my experiences... In that work, which I value tremendously, was for example, you might be away somewhere, maybe maybe on a camping trip, maybe at a cabin, some unfamiliar place, and you might get awakened at some incredibly inconvenient hour <laughs> to mm-hmm. do an unfamiliar task, and you know you learn to evaluate yourself on a different scale, mm-hmm. and you see how difficult it is, and um, and and so often in life so much is done for us that keeps us within this cocoon of physical comfort it's mm-hmm. it's it's fairly uncommon that most of us will ever change a flat tire for example not exactly a mm-hmm. catastrophe you know but a pain in the ass that we are very often shielded from mm-hmm. we you know in the in the in let's say North America and um <clears throat> And I think that can contribute to a lot of fantasies that can contribute to a lot of fantasies of people thinking that they're in a position intellectually or otherwise to like talk down to other people Mm -hmm. or to speak in terms of enlightenment. And it's like, dude, until, you know, (laughs) you're on a camping trip and it's raining and you can't find your backpack. Mm -hmm. Let's see how you keep it together before Mm -hmm. you talk of enlightenment. You know, so I think that I don't have a formula for how people should put themselves into those situations. That's going to be, um, that's going to be intrinsic to every individual, but we should at least be aware that we dwell in situations of unbelievable physical comfort, apropos of history, apropos of the rest of the world. And that should make us a little more chill in terms of our self-assessment.
0: Yeah. I think that's such a great idea. And I totally am, um, with you on the, when people are throwing like words, like, enlightenment and ascension and all of that stuff around right like, you know it's what was it ramdas was like you think you're enlightened spend a week with your family and exactly I'm like, literally i get in full brat mode when i'm with my extended family for too long and i'm like okay I'm gonna lock myself in the bathroom gotta breathe and right i think that kind of yeah that recognition that like you know i see there's a lot of talk that like we're you know in the kali yuga and the worst time in history and like i'm not you know climate change obviously climate crisis the planet she is not happy i'm i'm not i'm not saying she's not but like as humans we are definitely i think in you know like some of the best times that we could have been in speaking especially as a woman who can open a bank account and own property and get divorced and has rights and just you know that there's no slavery we are i think that kind of taking assessment like that and you know taking a step back and seeing the bigger picture is is so helpful and i've been really contemplating the idea that like if your spiritual practice or your magical practice or your path doesn't make you a better person then what's the point because like
1: totally dig, yeah
0: you know like i'm like at the end of the day yeah we're all trying to do the great work and hopefully burn off as much karma on this in this life as we can but like none of that shit is promised we may have 30 Mm -hmm. like 100 300 thousand more lifetimes and i feel like all we can really do is just like use our spiritual work to make us more compassionate understanding and help each other it's like none of us are are meant to do this alone and i i kind of just you know i'm definitely i say that as i'm sitting and you know my nice apartment with air conditioning and some coffee that like my machine made like i think that kind of check of the reality check of like yeah you know like it's easy to have the spiritual practice that mystical connection when it's all it's all going smoothly but then when like you said it's kind of when the shit hits the fan too but that's when it, you know, the practice pays off, but definitely um, need the reality check so, sometimes.
1: We desperately need the reality check, and and um, the Ram Dass quote that you used is so important, and there's so much in that if we could just live with it, because yeah. we are slaves to our emotions, slaves to our patterns, and also the last place that we're willing to look, of course, is at ourselves, yeah. is in terms of conduct, in terms of relationships, you know, like... Um, Every now and then, the uh, QAnon people or QAnon adjacent people will find their way to me on oh. Twitter, and they just love me. Um, <laughs> and, um, you know, of course, they want to, like, burn witches again, and, you know, mm-hmm. I think damn near literally, mm-hmm. and I wish them a long life of failure. And um, <laughs> they're so hung up on finding evil in yeah. these other places, and they're unreachable. They're simply yeah. unreachable, as most mm-hmm. of us are. And I, 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 I want to say to them, but it's futile, um, if you're looking for evil or whatever, I mean, is it really necessary to use so extreme a term? Um, if you're looking for problems you know, in this world to which you can apply yourself, which is ostensibly what you claim to be doing, ask you know, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your spouse, your partner, your kids, whomever. You know, are you helpful to them? Do you keep your word? Do you mm-hmm. show up on time for shit? Did you fix the garage door like you said? Just see mm-hmm. what they say. You know, but yeah. it's the venture that none of us will ever take because it immediately brings us down from that level of heroism that we want to think in to the level of how do I actually interact with immediate people in my life? And yeah. frankly, what other measure is there of personal yeah. progress?
0: Literally, oh, that's uh, they would they would like you, but I just <laughs> I just appreciate how you have always also like been so vocal and supportive of witchcraft specifically. I feel like Thank there you. can be. You know, like in the cultism space, I feel like it's very kind of masculine male-dominant. Obviously, the witchcraft space is way more kind of women, non-binary, femme-dominated. And, you know, there there can be kind of a split, I feel like, in the, you know, philosophers and magicians that are kind of in the cult stream versus witch stream. And you have always truly been there for witches, supported us, talked against, you know, countries and cultures that are burning witches and have done a really good job of also kind of like keeping the um like current affairs going with like the witch hunts around the world so just thank you you from witches everywhere we see it and we appreciate it
1: i can't tell you how much that means to me you know what the first time i was on coast to coast am was back in 2005 and um We got on the topic of of witchcraft, and and I, the next day, got an email from someone who said, I'm 17 years old, and I'm always taking shit at school for being a witch, and I want to thank you for sticking up for witches. And I thought, this is the only audience member, you know, who I want to write for and speak to. (laughs) I was so moved by it.
0: It's so special, you know, and I. it's, it's definitely, um, you know, I think that's such a, a beautiful example of kind of like where we are in time too. It's like really one of the only times in history where we can openly claim the title of witch without at least in the Western world and North America and this part of the country, like, um you know claim the title of witch without as much fear persecution i mean i say that as somebody raised in the deep south i recognize that there are pockets where people aren't safe to truly be expressed but like as a whole we're definitely you know on our way to to being more witchy which i'm I'm very grateful for
1: we totally are and 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 there are going to be instances and these instances are going to shock and hurt us where the opposite happens and we get reminded that there's bad actors out there who who will not listen to an individual's self-definition regardless Mm. of how clearly it's stated Um, but apropos of what you were saying earlier it is a remarkable time in history and we have to ask ourselves what do we owe to that you know uh, do we want to sit around you know complaining that my frappuccino was warm or do we (laughs) want to use that opportunity to really immerse ourselves in things in ways that people all over the world are not capable of today. Yeah. And so we should use this moment.
0: I love that. It's almost like transmuting like the frustration and the anger and devoting it and alchemizing it into something, you know, greater. It's like, okay, like how can I channel this rage at my first world problems and use that as fuel for something greater, which is like, you know, such a big part of of your work. You really help people like start I feel like at the basics which isn't anything outside of yourself it's not you know like as a witch i love my tools i love my altar but at the end of the day i'm like you can be a witch and literally just have your mind and your breath and your heart and that's it that's the only temple you need and you know i think that recognizing that one of another thing i really appreciate about your work is that you both are such a proponent of you know thought and um thought metaphysics and thought causality while also recognizing that there's like layers in society and systems of oppression that make the let the plank feel definitely not leveled for everybody you know like you've never even though you write about and are really such a beautiful historian on these kind of different like um like thought sciences you never are like oh yeah if you just you know you can think your way out of poverty if you say your manifestation mantra like you're going to be able to get everything you're like no like your your mind like it's almost like you were you're starting in the temple of malkut you're starting at the base Mm -hmm. you're starting in um asia like really the physical kind of expression of, of of magic which is the brain and then you're working out so how did you kind of get into like um like the thought metaphysics and kind of that field and how do you how i would love to just know maybe like how you work with that in your own life and how you've kind of seen your life transformed through the seeking of working with the brain and not against it
1: absolutely and i appreciate that question enormously because mind metaphysics new thought thought causation these are areas of tremendous dedication for me personally Mm -hmm. um they're they're areas of tremendous interest both as a seeker and as a writer i had a book out last year called daydream believer where mm-hmm. i came to my best reckoning about thought causation and one of the reasons i'm so attracted to it and one of the reasons that i actually have a very deep love for the kind of golden oldies in that mm-hmm. field whether it's florence Scovel shin um the game of life and how to play it or magic of believing or think and grow rich or you name it you know i i have a lot of love for that literature because I think that first of all, it brought metaphysics to a huge swath of people, and there's no telling where that's going to go. Um, and I like, I enormously, I feel enormous attraction toward the simplicity of it. You know, it's like what you were saying that an individual can be a witch, possessed of heart, mind, intellect. You're a witch. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't need accoutrements. You don't need one you know many witches may have altars but it's not some fee of entry you know Mm -hmm. and I feel that metaphysics if the individual's mind has extra physical dimensions which I firmly believe and that's my entire definition of spirituality extra physicality if we have extra physical dimensions to thought that has implications in all kinds of ways and accessing that in the simplest possible way is my chief interest as a Mm. seeker you know, what's the most direct way that the individual, myself included, can, can get in touch with those extra physical facets of, of being? And new thought has done a pretty good job of that. I think it's done a better job of popularizing itself than it has of refining itself. And yeah. that's where my difficulty comes in because I, I do believe in the basic premise of new thought. I do believe that thoughts are causative. But I also believe that there it's not the only game in town that we experience many different laws and forces and and in the same way that let's say ESP extrasensory perception can be demonstrated in a laboratory setting it's not like dentistry where it always comes out the same way every time or ideally so it's just much more elusive and you can go in a clinical setting and get very different results mm-hmm. And those things occurred, but they're not necessarily repeatable in the same way. And thought causation, because it's occurring, not in a clinical or laboratory setting, but out in the messy world, is going to be all the more fraught with difficulty. And it's really hard to, to track the workings of uh, the, the dynamic, if it's present. Um, and, and if there is a relationship A metaphysical relationship let's say between thought and concretized event it's 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 occurring within a very complex very dynamic playing field uh, Mm -hmm. with infinite factors perhaps that could get introduced into it so the simplicity of it unfortunately as appealing as it is doesn't fully hold up across the arc of a person's complicated life mm-hmm. and I, I have to wrestle with that and i have to come to terms with that and we see this just in matters of geography i mean I, I, i'm you know i got i don't know you know perhaps uh, one mile away from where i'm seated is somebody who's in a desperately uh stifling economic position and i reject that that's because that person has bad vibes you Mm -hmm. know i mean that just doesn't hold up literally a person could believe that you know yeah or you know look at the nation of haiti i mean it's being torn apart by gang violence people are just trying (sighs) to keep day-to-day life together and it's not because like well, you know, you guys need a motivational seminar. Yeah, you know, literally, they really?
0: manifested it. Like <laughs> right, pipes. right.
1: I mean, it's so fucking complex. Look at the yeah. fires in Hawaii. You know, people yeah. lost their homes. It's so complex. So, I really insist that this is why I do not use the term "law of attraction." Mm-hmm. This colloquially, it, it suggests that we live under this one mental super law, yeah. and I reject that. I and I won't, but but I also have to add. Um, I refuse to jump on this bandwagon of insisting that I hate the secret and I hate yeah. you know everything about that book and movie. I do not hate the secret, mm-hmm. and I think that Rhonda Byrne she had a vision, she carried out that mm-hmm. vision. I fire the hell out of what she did. Yeah. I just have differences with her. Yeah. I, I I don't share Rhonda's perspective of- that we live under one mental super law. Yeah. I do share her perspective that thought ultimately ultimately may be the arbiter of experience yeah. but we are very far away from that because we live or rather i say we experience many many different laws and forces yeah. so that has to render that point of view more complex and difficult so it's like for me as a seeker i'm not interested in demonstrating um seriousness by saying i hate the secret or i hate this or that I'm interested in, in, in staying true to some sort of seriousness intimately by feeling unsettled and uncertain about these, these topics. I will probably be dedicated to New Thought for a long time to come, yeah. and that dedication has brought me many good things, but it is a troublesome, um, it's very difficult to be a cartographer of that realm because that realm is much more complicated than I think the dominant literature has given us reason to believe.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and I I feel that so hard, and I really just applaud and support. You know, your your validation of yeah, like uh, you're not. You know, you're not thinking yourself into poverty you're not thinking yourself into cancer you're not thinking yourself into yes. a war-torn country and i've even experienced that where i'm like oh like i've been getting sick a lot like is it am is it my you know my my health anxiety post covid and me thinking about getting sick getting me sick and it it's like so kind of dominant in the I feel kind of like wellness and spiritual space that like oh if you take this one money course so if you say these affirmations like you're totally gonna change your life and everything is gonna be great and you're just gonna manifest everything you want and it's like you know like maybe our ancestors who didn't have technology who didn't live in these crazy urban cities who were living more connected to nature who had more access to their consciousness because they were living in a more aligned way like i feel like they're they're they were probably on some shit that we're not going to be in because we sacrifice that kind of you know ease of connection to living in this world and like you said like it is it is not just one you know one law one thing that we live under and it's not you know either or it's like that can be true and like the secret did kind of you know it was like probably it was a spark on my journey I did Rhonda's book The Magic and that was like going into college and that really was like a very powerful ritual practice for me like both things can exist at once and I think that one of the most important tools for any occultist or witch or seeker is dis- is discernment being able to yeah. discern what feels right and resonant for you because like you know like sometimes i'll have a bad feeling about somebody or like a teacher and i'm not necessarily sh- sure why and i'm just like this doesn't align with me and i'm gonna take what serves me and leave what doesn't and i think that kind of having that you know like we have the privilege to pick and choose and kind of create our own occultism landscape and our hearts and our practices and it's so much better than just taking what somebody says at face value because you think that you know they know better than you it's like nobody knows better than you know yourself like I really truly believe that as soon as somebody thinks they know you better than you know yourself like maybe I feel like maybe therapists and psychologists can kind of get the pass but like anybody else a guru I'm like no like you are you are the master of yourself and um you're not responsible for the shitty things that happen to you because you thought about something bad once.
1: I agree. And I think people, the seeker has to be really self-protective. Yeah. I, 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 I like my search nowadays is mostly solitary. I mean, mm-hmm. I have people I exchange with. I have yeah. people who I consider co-seekers. I I spent years within different groups and such and it's for every individual to decide, but I think people people have to be really careful of the theatricality of some of these groups yeah. and the manner in which the, whoever it is, the, the guru, the motivational teacher, the clergy, the shrink, whomever mm-hmm. it may be, that person is very cognizant of there being a kind of theatricality to mm-hmm. the encounter he or she is aware that the newcomer is looking at them as the man with the plan and you know (laughs) and that figures into the power dynamic and it behooves the seeker to be really really careful about that because again every one of us i have seen i mean what's the old expression um i don't know who it's attributable to but uh uh laws are like sausages no one should ever see them being made Yeah, having worked in publishing and just been around for a while i've gotten to see how the sausages are made and mm. getting to know really some some primary people on the spiritual scene celebrities on the spiritual scene but also seeing in private how they go batshit you know just at the Oof. slightest thing going wrong Oof. and it's like that's who you are yeah. and you're missing the greatness of the teacher the greatness of the teacher would be to share that to say you know mm. the truth is I went that shit the other day over something really petty and then we can all begin to search together because it demonstrates the disadvantages facing all of us and mm. I think that the great um, the great oversight that many of the present generation of teachers um, has indulged in is failing to reveal their own vulnerabilities Mm. and because if they reveal those vulnerabilities they think naturally as we all do well that's gonna detract from my cred it will vastly increase your cred if there is such a thing because we then all can start to search together you know I've interviewed famous gurus and they'll go on you know responding to a question for 15 minutes and it's so depleting because I know in private the odds that they face are much greater than what they're showing in public. And if they would face if they would show those odds in public, they don't have to be morbidly self-disclosing, yeah. but at least be revealing, then we all can groove to the terrible barriers that face all of us, and they are quite real.
0: Ugh, oh, I love that I feel like that kind of Um, authenticity and honesty especially like with social media Mm -hmm. being such a way that people are sharing this stuff and I say that as somebody who you know I can pay my rent because of social media I'm very very grateful for that platform and for the freedom that we have to express ourselves in our own images while also recognizing that it's a highlight reel you know and it's very easy to make yourself seem holier than thou on there but yeah, I've noticed, you know, like in my own journey, I I still kind of struggle with the word teacher cuz I feel like I'm like I don't fucking know anything. The more I learn, the less I know and like I'm just a forever student and I have I very much rather be honest, you know, I'm not I'm not out there shouting all my little imperfections just cuz I'm I'm trying to be a little bit less of a chronic overshare, but that kind of like <laughs> truth. It's like people if you're doing this work for the right reasons, whatever that means to you for being becoming a better person, for your personal evolution, not to be, like you said, holier than thou, but truly because you want to make a world to the better place by showing up as a better person. Um, I feel like when you're coming from that place, you have this you can almost like sense when somebody else is being real and authentic. And there's just kind mm-hmm. of this like yeah. mutual vibration, as cheesy as that sounds, but there really is this kind of like people recognize that and i think there's so much like you said value in that and also like i you know i again trust no guru i think it's sometimes better absolutely to not meet your idols because you can vibe with (laughs) something somebody says without necessarily you know like supporting somebody's work does not mean that you support everything they've ever said it doesn't have to be all or nothing and i was talking to my friend the other day about this it's like kind of almost the opposite side of cancel culture where it's like if you don't support what somebody says 100% then they're like canceled and it's like we actually should be discerning and take and choose what we what we want from our teachers it shouldn't be like us being like oh yeah like I like this person's teachings means that we like support everything they've ever done because there's there's no way for us to know that period again. Social media is, you know, like um, a, a highlight reel. But I'm also like, if my, if anybody consider a teacher or a mentor or whatever, doesn't like, isn't like basic, like just experience and showing basic kindness. I'm like, if you're rude to like a server or a waiter or somebody like checking you out at like your favorite store, like I'm mm-hmm. just not in there. Again, if you're not, if mm-hmm. this is not helping you become a better person, then like, what's the point? You're just here to inflate your ego and like. Judge other people because they're quote unquote not as spiritual as you. It's just like falling back into the trap right. of not doing the work, you know?
1: There's nothing more hilarious than judging someone for not being as spiritual as I am. Oh, you know, it's, just it's like, so it's like only up. human beings could come up with that. You know? really? It's fantastic. It's yeah. Fine.
0: It's like very funny. It's something I've been thinking about a lot too. Cause you know, like I'll, I'll talk about this shit. I'm like, damn, I'm judging other people who I think are judging me. It's like this whole trap. And then, you know what? I'm like, I really truly believe the, the universe. You gotta have a sense of humor with her. like laugh or die miserable bitch if you're not laughing right, with the right, right. she will right. she will laugh at you so it's just like you can't you know and i think that sense of like play and joy on the path is so it's such medicine because it's like you can get like you said so serious so quick you know you join an order and you then you what you worry about like getting up the the realms and getting all the initiations and you're missing the actual the the part of the path or you're so caught up in the the trappings of the spiritual you know of the the trappings of the like you said like the theatrics of it that you're like missing connecting to yourself and it's like it's i think that's this you know some of the pitfalls of the path are the biggest teachers but it's definitely it's definitely a ride
1: yeah yeah and you know the the 19th century occult revival Uh, especially the initiatory orders like Golden Dawn. They did many, many wonderful things, Mm -hmm. but they were very high, their leadership was very high on this idea of initiatory ranks and titles and privileges and such. And it's interesting because um, when Madame Blavatsky and Colonel Olcott left New York City and went to India in uh, late 1878, early, 1879 the locus of their interest tended to shift toward vedism and buddhism mm-hmm. and more and more of madame blavatsky's work especially secret doctrine came to take on a vedic uh, quality and there were some seekers who were were very unhappy with that because they thought well we're not against this stuff but we want training in practical magic mm-hmm. and they felt very driven yeah. to Create that experience that they felt was missing in in Madame Blavatsky's work after she she shifted her locus to India, and so when orders like the OTO and and uh, the Golden Dawn and the Hermetic Brotherhood of Luxor and and others got created, um, the the creators, the progenitors, they were doing all kinds of amazing things artistically and magically, but they they looked towards. Freemasonry Um, Mm -hmm. they look towards uh, what fragments have come down to us from the mystery religions and they sought to recreate these things with such gusto Mm -hmm. that they they recreated a lot of what I would describe as artifice liturgy ceremony pageantry and it has touched us to this very day Mm -hmm. now if, if that works for the individual more power to you but I do find that it's very easy to get lost in all of these initiatory ranks and even organizations that announce themselves as the enemies of orthodoxy mm-hmm. import these ranks mm-hmm. and everybody's the grand poobah this or the grand <laughs> imperator that. And I'm like, guys, you know, like, I mean, I'm not playing Dungeons and Dragons here. I'm <laughs> it's a life, you know, and so... Um, it's it's just one of these things, you know, we have to watch out because we love badges and we love flags yeah. and sometimes they may be aesthetically beautiful but they can be traps.
0: Uh, I really I really appreciate you saying that because I feel I feel very much the same and again it's like for me I'm really interested in a spirituality and a witchcraft and occultism that is something that I can live, something that's in my everyday, not just when I'm wearing my sash and, you know, doing the the, the whole thing and I, I very much admire the golden dawn system and also it's like how realistic is that for somebody in this day and age to go there's a reason it doesn't exist because those people are rich, had mm-hmm. all the time in the world, were spending mm-hmm. their days literally pretty much LARPing and doing magic and like how much of it is made up? I mean obviously I'm not, mm-hmm. I, it comes from sources but like those Traditions, the rituals were like, there's always a sense of personal gnosis. And at the end of the day, it's like we all have access to that too. And I think it was Damian Eccles who made a really good point. He's like, people in these orders, in the hierarchical order specifically, like you got, like you said, obsessed with kind of like, oh, I want to be like Magus of this, or I want to like go to this sphere like this, um, this, like, yeah. you know, this sphere and ascend. And it's like you get more obsessed and more kind of fixated on like, quote unquote, getting the next initiation than like really taking the time to receive the initiation receive what you're meant to be you know like receive the teaching receive the wisdom like live it and you know you get more caught on the destination than the journey which is like such a metaphor for this damn thing we call life and Mm -hmm. yeah I definitely you know as somebody who's I'm, I'm like a solitary occultist anarchist occultist i don't know i kind of just do my own thing and mm-hmm. mix ceremonial magic and witchcraft and sex magic and i just i could not vibe with the hierarchy i'm like i don't i don't want yeah. i can't imagine like having to deal also with the interpersonal drama that comes from that
1: right for sure and it, it just becomes its own um well look uh, i mean we 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 replicate the world that we say we want to get away from you know we yeah. run away from orthodoxy yeah. as children and then we reproduce
0: Literally. it's human nature yeah yeah i would love to ask a little it's it's pretty on on topic but something that i've been really kind of noticing and grappling with the past like i don't know for a while but especially the past few weeks it's been coming up is like i don't know if you've noticed this like in your space but i feel like there's so much kind of repackaged christianity recently in spiritual circles i feel like it might kind of go with like the trad wife or like traditional kind of like movement on like social media but i feel like whenever i hear people talk about like ascension or like um kind of especially around like some like sex magic teachings where like it has to look a certain way or like we're doing these things to like get into 5d i'm like this just it very much feels like regurgitated christianity where we're trying to leave our bodies and ascend and like Mm. do things in a certain way and i guess my question is like is that something you notice and how do you kind of like both honor you know people's own practice while also like how do you keep your own work expansive and not falling into kind of like one specific dogma? I guess is my question.
1: That that is, I appreciate that question enormously, and it's very hard, and it really, really has to be watched for. You know, one of the things that occurred to me uh, maybe just I don't know three months ago or so is that to a very, very great extent, the new age, and when I say new age, as you understand, I I mean it positively. I mm-hmm. define new age as a Radically ecumenical culture of therapeutic spirituality—that's mm-hmm. what it is—and um, I participate in it. And if somebody wants to apply the label to me, it's fine. But but I do think that one of the things I've discovered culturally is that the New Age is in fact very very Christian in orientation, mm-hmm. in the sense that the Abrahamic narrative, um, out of which came Judaism, Christianity, Islam it's a very very compelling narrative and it's been part of it's shaped the Western mind for centuries and centuries and centuries I mean ever since Christianity became the official semi-official religion of, of ancient Rome th- that point of view that there's good guys and there's bad guys and uh, the uh, the way to the good guys is through um, these iterations that came down from Mount Sinai and then later mm-hmm. were codified into the Beatitudes and maybe still later codified into uh, things recorded in the Quran and and if you're good you know you're gonna get rain in the right season and you're gonna go to someplace good after you physically die and if you're bad something else the opposite is gonna happen mm-hmm. to you and there's this very cause and effect good and bad and we know what the coordinates of all that are and that mindset is the western religious mindset yeah. and it's touched the new age to a very 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 deep extent and so the new age has mm. been doing a, uh, a a a good job unfortunately <laughs> of um replicating aspects of the outer culture yeah. selecting enemies you know who are the bad guys who are we willing to let in and who are we going to close the door on and um and 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 there must be um invisible bad guys like something called the illuminati and if i can mm-hmm. identify them then i'm a hero cuz i'm the good guy cuz i've broken through and some of this is also part of the gnostic thought system which is a very compelling thought system that we're kind of living in this world of illusion and we have to yeah. pierce it it's really what the barbie movie is about basically
0: yeah, literally wow, <laughs> right? you know? wow.
1: <laughs> you know it's a gnostic movie to a very great extent oh my
0: god literally yeah. went down to the demiurge oh my god mitch wow right. that's a whole other podcast episode but it's
1: a whole other episode incredible but it's, it's very compelling and there's truth to it but the danger of that truth as with all truths is that i become the hero yeah. so i'm the good guy so great you know i'm barbie and i'm enlightened ken and i see <laughs> No, why why when did I get to self-elect that you know Mm -hmm. so you know and I think that that we can see um, that within precincts of the New Age um, the dividing line between who's good who's bad what's in what's out what leg of the search is acceptable what leg of the search is not acceptable is very sharply drawn and in many respects it's just the shadow of Western culture in general yeah so I think that we, as seeking people, have to really watch out for that just simple recreation. Because we all, listen, we all think we're the good guys. We're yeah. all 100% convinced, you know, I'm Barbie, not whomever the bad guy is mm-hmm. in the movie. I I don't know who the bad guy is. I guess it's conformity. But I'm not the forces of conformity. I'm Barbie, you know. Mm-hmm. and uh, Or like in The Matrix, you know, I'm Neo. I'm not one of those bad archons. Mm-hmm them and that's a tremendous leap of vanity and it's incorrect because we're looking in the mirror of self uh, self image I'll say versus the mirror of relationship whereas to other people Mm -hmm. I'm very unlikely that way at all you know so we as a seeking community all I'm really trying to say is that whether we identify as Christian or a new age or this that the other thing um, we have to be really super careful that we don't just simply recreate blindly these dichotomies of yeah. like who's the good guy, who's the bad guy, who belongs in, who belongs out. I have no, I am not anti-Christian. I have no interest yeah. whatsoever in pointing up the terrible hypocrisy of Christendom. Of course, it's there, and it's yeah. there everywhere else on the planet as well. Exactly. You know, so so I'm not going to get into this trip where um, I know who the bad guys are and I know just what to do about it.
0: Yeah, we know
1: where that goes
0: yeah that's such a good point and I really appreciate that and yeah definitely have to remind myself of that as well and one of the um, practices that I've been working with specifically working with uh, kind of Thelemic and western goddess Babylon is just the perspective of non-duality I'm like there are Mm -hmm. no good guys there are no bad guys we're we're all both like you know even being like okay like i can be a compassionate person but like the idea of like a good person is like it's very divisive like you said at the end of the day it's like us versus them and you know my i'm uh, i'm on this path to become a better person and become more compassionate and you know quote unquote better just to be more understanding of people who are different than me and it, it can be it can be very hard and i really just appreciate and um admire admire that reminder and that barbie reference of course was very um appreciated
1: yeah. i was uh i was at a party of the other night with a bunch of film people and there was one guy there i love him and he remarked it was so funny he said um something to the effect of um I'm, I'm, I'm depressed because I don't hate the Barbie movie as much as I'm supposed to. Because you know, <laughs> among the intelligentsia, we're supposed to have this critique of the Barbie movie, it's just and I actually like, really yeah. I liked it. You know? Yeah, I <laughs> love so, that.
0: I love the awareness. Yeah. And also, I'm like, that's the point, babe. Also There's just there's so much commentary to be said about that too. I'm like hating things that are very girly and women, and you know, there's there's yes. nuance. And the movie, the movie goes there, and it acknowledges it. And we, yeah. I love it for it.
1: And it's also selling dolls, and we have to groove to that. Yeah, I mean, exactly. There's a lot of different things going it's on. Capitalism. It's like yeah. truth can coexist with consumerism, and often does. Yeah, <laughs> and exactly. That's, you know, yeah, that's I, I
0: like. had I had a spiritual experience watching the Barbie movie. I was just, like, blown away. So I definitely recommend it. I love viewing it as Gnostic. Um, and I guess I will, we'll start wrapping up, but I have just a couple more questions By all means, you. yeah. yeah. Um, what was the greatest lesson or what did you learn writing modern occultism that you'd like to share like what was there a moment that something within you or that you experienced writing it because i know for myself like when i'm writing a, a book it's almost like that whatever i'm writing about it's like the my life becomes an incubator for that and all the threads kind of start crossing about whatever the topic is so was there something about writing modern occultism that either deepened your own search or was just kind of like a profound moment even if it was just finishing the book we just love to hear that
1: oh i appreciate that artistically i felt like i was being too easy on myself at a certain point and this Mm -hmm. book pulled me out of that. Yeah. Um, you know, I'd started my writing career as, as a historian with um, Occult America in 2009. Mm-hmm. And then a few years later, I published a book called One Simple Idea, which was the history of the positive mind movement. And I've worked hard on every book I've ever written. Mm-hmm. But after that, I went in a direction that dealt more with practical spirituality, like mm-hmm. with the Miracle Club and Daydream Believer. And I came to feel... Um, I came to feel that I wasn't holding myself up to a sufficiently high standard with regard to some of the historical uh, material that I determined to return to and this Mm -hmm. book shook me out of that in a very heavy way and I I think I began to get shaken out of it a few years ago where I was writing a chapter on ESP research which I care very deeply Mm -hmm. about for the book uh, Daydream Believer and the, the critics of ESP research, the skeptics of ESP research are so vociferous that um, they come out of the woodwork as soon as you just say the initials ESP. Mm-hmm. And I said to myself, I want this chapter to really be a statement and I'm gonna back it up with source material that to any earnest observer is impeccable. Mm-hmm. And so I worked really, really hard at it and I was very happy with it. And I said to myself, okay, now I'm gonna replicate that on the scale of a full book mm. in modern occultism and do something that i haven't done fully since occult america and and um one simple idea which is now uh, you know well over uh you know 15 and 10 years old res- respectively and so i threw myself into this and i felt like i i i i held myself to a higher standard in ways that reminded me of my earliest days mm and that was very meaningful to me personally yeah. and so i completed the book with a lot of joy because i thought there was no chapter where i didn't subject myself to that and i felt like i needed it i needed to push myself again in a big big way and and so that was very satisfying
0: i love it it's and it's felt, and i also just want to say i loved daydream believer i listened to that thank one thank you that book is also like probably Maybe my favorite book of yours. The essays are oh, just oh, I appreciate it. Thank incredible. you. Incredible.
1: I really appreciate that. Thank you. I worked very hard on that book. Thank you. You
0: work. You you are. You truly are an, like a very prolific author, and all your books are just so well researched. This Thank one you. is no different. Um, my last Thank question you. before you share where audience the audience can find you is, I I know that you've you've been very um, open and honest about living with anxiety, and mm. I relate. I have the same you know same kind of thing going on, and my I just wonder if you have any advice for people who are out there living with anxiety and listening and want to both you know, honor and recognize the power of their mind, but also have that kind of uh, anxious mind going at the same time. Do you have any advice or practices that somebody can kind of live with both of those things at once?
1: I I do, and what I would say is, um, ever since I was a little kid, I struggled with anxiety. Yeah. And anybody who struggles with anxiety or depression knows the experience of searching for that magic bullet asking themselves is it biochemical do I need meds is it something that mom did is this is that literally literally and these things could just occupy our entire lives without ever getting us to an actionable uh, Mm. response or answer but the thing that has helped me tremendously in I would have to say one of the reasons why I'm vastly more happy today than I was for example as an adolescent is that it's absolutely vital and critical for the individual to separate him or herself from a cruelty mm-hmm. from people who are down on us don't support us cut us down and very often these can be people who are very close to us including family members including boyfriends or girlfriends or spouses or partners including Uh, the person who's been our so-called best friend Mm -hmm. since eighth grade but who always seems to find a way to just twist you know that 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 shank into your ribs at the unexpected Mm -hmm. moments and and people suffer under these things and they feel choiceless they feel they have to suffer under them and they don't and my uh, estimation is at this point in my life I personally believe that most of us have too many relationships i don't think that we as a human community are built for those relationships i mean it used to be that people's relationships were fairly limited and now we're on social media 24 7 and so forth and so on and i don't want to put that genie back in the bottle there's no way to do it anyway yeah but we can i don't know why people feel that they have to circulate within large groups and i don't know why people feel that I mean I do understand there's a fear factor involved in like let's say uh, you have an in-law or family member or whomever who diminishes you and every year you invite that person to whatever holiday and every year without fail that person insults you Mm -hmm. and (laughs) you know you don't have to invite that person now there will be consequences Uh, somebody might get pissed off at you uh, whatever there will be consequences but there's gonna be consequences no matter what you do you yep. can sit in your house all day and watch cartoons <laughs> and there's going to be consequences mm-hmm. and you know don't be afraid of the consequences because my personal experiences and I can't imagine it's it's exclusive has been that whatever first of all sometimes no consequences occur none yep. of any yep. uh, substance which is very often the case in life and and what consequences do occur are very frequently uh, nothing compared to the freedom that we feel and um I think that those of us who are prone towards anxiety um, do ourselves a terrible disservice by staying in proximity to anything or anyone that is uh, depleting or cruel Mm -hmm. and we have enormous freedom to get away from those circumstances Um, that freedom again it, it may come with consequence but I would that look the individual owes it to him or herself to find out how bad is the consequence maybe it's not maybe it's not so bad yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. and I, I, I've gained greater happiness over the long term from getting away from cruel people and situations than any other single factor in my life so yeah. if I am equipped to recommend anything I, I recommend that
0: Ugh you heard it here f- you heard it here first folks. protect your peace protect your peace protect your peace it's so it's so important and I, I really appreciate that like honest answer because it's so true it's like we do a lot of things to please other people and while that's also important it's like if you're not protecting your peace then what's the point so I appreciate it yeah. Okay, Mitch, well, we're wrapping up the interview, so I would love to know where um, where folks can find you, where they can buy your books, and I'll link everything in the show notes below so people can just like click, click, click.
1: Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. Um, the book Modern Occultism is coming out on uh, September 19th in print digital audio, it can be pre-ordered anywhere you buy your books.
0: Awesome, and you can um, can you remind us of your socials as well, where people can find you on oh,
1: that? Oh, sure. I'm on um, primarily on Twitter and Instagram. Awesome. Uh, Twitter is at Mitch Horowitz, and Instagram is at Mitch Horowitz twenty
0: three. I love it, and we love the PRS. I'll make sure to have the episode out before then. And Mazel Tov, truly, this Thank book you. is incredible. And yeah, we we will see you um, at the PRS. Thank you for joining us thank you so much for joining me for this episode of love lust and magic mitch actually has an event at the philosophical research society on december 17th called occult america looking back and looking forward i highly 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 recommend checking him out he's an amazing lecturer and you can find links to his website into that event below as well as his social media And if you're listening and are interested in any of my work, I just recorded and released my series of classes called Perverting the Tarot, which is all about working with and reading the tarot erotically. My tarot deck, The Goddess of Love Tarot, it's for all the Venusians and the sex witches and the love witches out there, and it is out everywhere with art by Snakes for Hair, Julia Papescu. My full-length books, Sacred Sex, Bewitching the Elements, and Inner Witch are out in the world, as well as my guided journal, Embody Your Magic. And you can find my monthly essay series, including um, Diary of a Sacred Slut and other tarot uh, spreads and lots of ritual guides and magic on my Patreon at Gabby Hurstick. As always, that is linked below and I will see you guys next week. Thanks for being here. Love, Lust, and Magic is produced by Zach Toman.